morning I would like to invite you to take your copy of God's Word and turn to the book of Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to begin reading in verse 15 and we'll read through the end of the chapter in verse 23. Now this uh, Ephesians is uh, one of the books of the Bible or an epistle, a letter that was written by the Apostle Paul uh, to the people in the city of Ephesus and really in the surrounding areas as well. And in this, um, in this passage, Paul is introducing himself in the first uh, couple of verses, and then he begins just a, a major um, focus on praising God. It's a praise fest. He's just shouting out praises over and over and over. And then he begins, after he gives all this praise and glory to God about all that God has done for us, how God has um, lavished his grace and his kindness and his mercy on us. Then he talks about how we can respond and how he prays that uh, these folks, and I would say Paul would want the same for all believers, uh, out of that. He says in verse 15, For this reason, since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus... And your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation, so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for those of us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. For God placed all things underneath his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him, who fills everything in every way. Let us pray. Father God, we come to you and we ask that you would take uh, these words of Scripture uh, that you inspired the Apostle Paul to write and that your spirit would speak through them uh, to the spirit which dwells in us, the spirit which you have freely given. And, Father, that uh, you would illuminate your truth. And, Father, that, Father, that you would work um, to uh, enliven and enrich us, to open the eyes of our heart, to see what you would have us to see, and to become more like Jesus. And we pray all this in his precious and holy name. Amen. Several hundred years ago, uh, a, a group of theologians got together uh, in um, England, and they came out with a, um, with a statement of faith. It was called the Westminster Confession. And in it, they uh, said, what is the chief end of man? And that meant, what is the purpose? What is the goal? What is our reason uh, for living? And it was um, to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever was the basic idea. That is that our number one goal is to bring glory and honor to God. And it isn't just a, a dour or, or uh, 
just difficult uh, drudgery type of duty, but rather we are to enjoy God in the process because he built us for relationship. So our goal in everything that we do as we relate to God and to one another in love, in joy, in trust, but everything we're doing is to be bringing glory and honor to God. And Paul starts off this letter, and man, he is, he's on it. He is really just in a mood. He is in a, in a spirit of praise. And he just begins talking about uh, how much he wants to praise and God. And he's praising him for his grace and his mercy and for all of these things. And he does that for all the verses leading up to the passage that we read today. And he's so excited about God's grace and mercy and how uh, first the gospel came to the Jewish people, but it didn't stop there, that it went further to the Gentiles and that God's grace and mercy just keeps expanding and growing. And in the process, the grace of God and the glory of God becomes more and more known and God's name becomes more and more praised. And he says, look, ever since I heard about you guys and your faith, I've just started praying that that would just snowball even more. Paul says, I want to see a praise cycle going on where you get to know God and, and God gets praise and glory because of it. And then you begin to live for him and you begin to draw closer to him. And so you start to praise God more as you see what he's done for you. And other people see that change in your life and they hear and they see and they watch and, and they praise God for what's changing and their lives are changed. And there's this just ongoing cycle. You could even say a spiral of praise that it begins greater and greater and greater. And he says, that is what I want to see. I want to see God's fame. I want to see God's glory. I want to see his name be lifted up more and more and more. And so to that goal, for that effort, here is what I pray for you. Listen to what he says in verse 16. I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. In verse 17, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, will give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. He says, look, what I want is for you to have a spiritual experience where God gives you supernaturally more wisdom, which is not just knowledge, but the ability to live and, and walk in the truth and revelation. That is things that you can only learn from God, that it's not a, not a man-made type of knowledge. He says, I am praying that God would touch you with greater wisdom and greater revelation of his truth. Why? So you can get smarter, be more impressed with yourself? No, so that you may know him more. I want you to know God more because the more that you know God, the closer that you get to him, the more that you draw near in fellowship with him, the more you're going to be blown away as you see his glory, the more that's revealed to you. And he even goes further. He, he doesn't stop there. He goes into greater detail in the next verse. He says this in verse 18. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, 
that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance of his holy people, and his incomparably great power to those who, for us who believe. So he says, beyond just knowing him better, here's three particular ways that I want you to grow. And he says, I'm praying that the eyes of your heart be open. You ever sing that praise song, Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. You probably sang it better than that, but you've sang it before. Have you ever wondered where it came from? This is it right here. The Apostle Paul says, hey, there is a sight that is beyond the physical eyesight, but there is something supernatural that I want your heart to be able to see and to comprehend. And so I am praying that the eyes of your heart may be open. That is, that your heart may be open and expanded to a greater knowledge of God than you have ever received before. And he said, there's three particular things that I want you to get. The first of them has to do with the hope that we have. He says, in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. First of all, hope. He says, I want you to know God more because I want you to know that hope. You see, without hope, nothing really matters. It doesn't matter how good or bad things are. If there's no hope, then we lose all motivation to go on. Everything is meaningless without hope. And then sometimes we're not sure about our hope. We may have a false hope. Paul says, I want you to know a sure and certain hope. That is the hope of God. Because God has his promises and God does not lie. He fulfills every one of his promises. And the Christian faith is built on hope. Now, one day we won't have hope anymore because we won't have to. One day we'll be with God Apart from all sin, all the pain, all the sin, all the turmoil of this life will be gone. And hope will no longer be necessary. Because that thing that we've hoped for and looked forward to so long, we'll be living it. But right now, we're living in a world that is marred by sin. We're living in a world that is not perfect. A world where we constantly get frustrated and heartbroken and outraged because we see injustice, we see wrong, we see sin, we see destruction. And so we're constantly frustrated and we ask the question, is this all there is we have to look forward to? You know, in 2020, you know, we, we've had all these things that have happened. And, and, you know, the coronavirus and the economy and the murder hornets and the air, you know, now people are worried about, oh, it's time for the cicadas. You know, not that they're a big problem, but they kind of creep some people out. I mean, and people are constantly wondering, what's next? What's the thing that we have to worry about? And see, if we're always, if our eyes are only on our current circumstances, we can be completely overwhelmed when it seems to be one bad thing after another. But God is telling us that there is something more than just what we see, feel, touch, smell, whatever, right around us. That hope is like a whole nother sense that allows us to look forward into a better future, not one that we wish for, 
You know, not just wishful thinking, but a future that has been promised and has been assured by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. God has said there is something. And if we can get a hold, if we can grip and grasp that hope, and if we can hold on to it, then it is something that is firm and secure. He, the author of Hebrews talks about an anchor for our soul. And man, don't we need an anchor for our soul. When the winds and the waves and the storms of this life are blowing back and forth, we need that anchor to hold on to. And so our hope is what keeps us grounded as we look forward to all that God has for us. We know that no matter what craziness goes on around us, that, hey, yes, we're to minister, we're to love, we're to reach out. We don't just sit here and wait for the end. I mean, we're to be about God's business, that's for sure. But we're not, our whole future isn't wrapped up in a, a politician or a scientist or a doctor or even a preacher or anyone else. Our hope and our faith is in the Lord. So he says, first of all, I want the eyes of your heart. I want your heart to be expanded so that you will get the hope that you were called to. By the way, I want you to grasp one more thing about that hope. Catch that phrase, the hope that you are called to. That is, That was part of your calling as a Christian. Hope is not an optional thing. As the Lord called you to himself for salvation, he called you to hope. Hope is an intrinsic part of what it means to be a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. Secondly, after the hope, he says... The hope to which he has called you. Secondly, he says, the riches of his glorious inheritance for his holy people. The riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. And the interesting thing about inheritance is um, they're, they're always kind of a mixed bag, you know. I mean... Unless there's that, that, you know, thing you kind of hear about or read about where some, you know, 23rd cousin or distant uncle passes and you never really knew him and then you inherit millions and you're like, wow, this is great. And you're only vaguely sad because, you, you know, you didn't even know that person. But normally when you get an inheritance, you're really sad because it means, well, yeah, you got an inheritance, but you lost that person who was more valuable to you than that money they gave you could ever have been. And then you're not going to keep that inheritance anyway. Oftentimes, by the time you get that inheritance, you're like, well, I could have used this 20 years ago, but you know, now I'm okay, and I'm, I'm only going to have it for a few years, and I'm going to pass on, and somebody else is going to get it, and so on and so forth. So inheritance can kind of be a mixed bag, and we won't even go into all the family trouble that can kind of come when people start fighting about inheritances. But biblical inheritance, it's really different. It's really interesting because God is, uh, gives us an inheritance that comes not when someone dies. It's not received when someone dies. It's received when we're born. That is, when we're born again, when we are trusting Christ and we are born anew, when we are born into the family of God, we receive an inheritance. We are written into the will, so to speak. 
See, that the death, it's already taken place. It was the death on the cross of Jesus Christ. But guess what? He is risen. He is alive. And so we have this inheritance. We are now in the will, so to speak. We have this inheritance. And, and just like sometimes there's early inheritances where people may get a little early part we kind of get some of that already. I mean, the fact is that we already have eternal life. That is, we already know that, that we have a relationship with Jesus Christ that is growing and God is working in our hearts. And, and, and he is um, bringing us to a point of sanctification. That is, becoming more like Jesus. His holiness is, is working on our sinfulness and scrubbing that out and making us more like we're supposed to be. But then, like, there is a kind of like a trust fund that you got to get to a certain point, and then you get more. Well, we get part of the inheritance now, but then there's a whole bunch more of the inheritance later. So unlike when we die most of the time, that means our money, our stuff goes to someone else. In the Bible, it tells us, hey, guess what? You get an early inheritance the moment you get saved. But then when you live, and then when you go to be the Lord... Instead of that going to someone else, you get the full deal then. You get the, the whole, whatever remains, all the rest of everything that God has promised you. And we can't even begin to touch, to, to just skim the surface of all that God has for us. But he talks about the fact that we are, we are meant to rule and reign with him in eternity. God created us um, to rule over this world. And there's a new heaven and a new earth coming. And God has a special place for us. He has an inheritance for us. And it's more than we can possibly imagine. That inheritance begins today. But it is fulfilled and it is completed in eternity. And he says, so first of all, I want you to look forward to that hope. That one day all the tears will be wiped away. One day you'll be face to face in the presence of the Lord and Savior. Second of all, he says, this glorious inheritance. I want you to think about this, that God has blessed you by including you in the family. You got written in to the family inheritance and you're getting part of it now and more of it's coming later. And then third and finally, he says, about this in verse 19 a third thing he wants our hearts to be open to and his incomparably great power for those of us who believe he said man if our hearts could just open up and see this incomparably great power this power of God that is beyond anything else in this world I don't care about the most powerful machine that you can imagine the most powerful person you can imagine physically the most politically powerful person the most wealthy person the most powerful nation or army Paul says none of that power in any sense of the word Social, political, monetary, whatever kind of power you can imagine, none of it can even begin to compare with the power that God has. And not only does God have that power, but God uses that power in your life. All the other, uh, the first two, you know, talking about the hope and the inheritance, he kind of leaves it at that. But on this one, Paul says, I just got to go a little bit further. I just got to, I got to illustrate a little bit. I got to talk a little bit more about this whole power thing. 
And he goes on and he says, that power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Paul says, this power that I'm talking about, I'm not talking about some little tiddlywinks, some little meaningless, uh, no, no, nothing power. This is the same power that changed the entire universe. When I raised my son, Jesus Christ, from the dead, that is the power that I have that is at work in your life as a believer. He says, I want you to get how amazing this power is. Some of us, many of us as Christians, have this crazy schizophrenic type of faith. That is, we believe that God can do everything, and yet we believe he will do nothing in our lives, special or meaningful. We believe that God created the world. We believe that the Father raised the Son from the dead. But we believe that in our lives that we're just ordinary Christians who are never meant to do anything special, anything of real value. That's how many Christians believe. And Paul was rebuking that idea in the Ephesians. He said, I want you to get that to be a Christian, that is a little Christ, that means that just like the Father worked in Christ and raised him from the dead, that resurrection power is at work in you. That God desires and plans and wants so much. He has on standby a supply of power that is infinite, incomparable, unimaginable. And yet we will not tap into it. Because we believe that he did it once upon a time way back when in his son Jesus. And yet we, believe, we refuse to plug in because we think we cannot have any part of that for ourselves. Somehow, some way in our minds, well, that was only for Jesus, or that was for a long time ago, or that was for special, super spiritual, blah, blah, blah. And we make up this infinite number of excuses why God would not use us. And I'm going to tell you, that's not humility, that's sin. You remember the story about the, the talents? And a talent was not what we call today a talent and ability. A talent was actually a portion of money. And, and, and the, the big man, the boss, said, hey, I'm going away a long, long trip, and I'm going to give you servants. I'm going to give you five. I'll give you two, give you one. I want you to do something with them. When I come back, I want to see what you've done with them. He comes back after a long time. The one who'd been given the most talents, boy, he put it to work, and he doubled it. He says, well done. You did great. The, the next one down, he didn't have as many, but hey, he, he did what he could with it. He says, well done. That last one says, oh, well, I just, you know, <clears throat> I knew you're such a great and, and mighty Lord, and, and, and I was afraid something might happen. So I sat back in a corner, and I buried the money, and I didn't do anything with it, but here it is back to you. Did the master say, oh, you poor little servant, you humble you. 
weren't you a good person? No. The master said, you wicked and lazy servant. Why did he say that? Because it was never about the servant's uh, ability. It was about the master's talent. It was about his power, his possession. The master wanted him to do something with what he was given. And God wants us to understand we have been given his power to do anything and everything he's called us to do. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that we're, we're not all called to do the same thing. Our lives will not all look the same. We're not all given the same spiritual gifts. We're not all called to the same ministries. But the point is, whatever God has put in front of you, whatever ministry you have, whatever calling you have, God has given you the power, and there is never an excuse that we don't have the power. Because the resurrection power of Jesus Christ is available to you. Paul says, oh man, I wish, I wish, I wish that your heart could get it. I wish that you could open up and get it. Now, Paul prayed this for the Ephesians. What are we to do about this? I'm going to say it's a pretty good idea that we should pray this for ourselves. Some of us already have. Like I said, we've sang that song, Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you high and lifted up. That's where he, Paul was going on talking about how God exalted Jesus. That's what that song's all about. We need to ask God, God, help me to get it. Because sometimes we get it, but we don't get it. Like if I was, if we were all here and we had a full sanctuary, and if I was to say, how many of you know we have hope in Jesus Christ? Everybody raise their hand. How many of you know we have an inheritance in Jesus Christ? Probably most of us would. Some of us might, uh, what's, what's that? I don't, I don't know about a church inheritance. I've never heard that. But lots of people would raise their hand. How many of us know that, that God gives us power to live the Christian life? Most everybody raise their hand. But, but there's getting it and then there's getting it. We can maybe get it a little. But we need to get it more and more. And more and more. If you want to understand this idea, think about how many times have you gone to read God's Word and, and you've read it through. Maybe you're reading through the New Testament or reading through the Bible, or maybe it's just a, a devotion that you're reading. And you've read that passage a couple times, five times, maybe a hundred times. But on that hundred and first time, all of a sudden God brings out something new you never saw it before. And you're like, wow, how did I miss that God? Wow, that is amazing. That's what God's talking about here. Most of us have understood to some degree that God has a hope, an inheritance, and a power for us. But we need to get that to the next level and to the next level and to the next we need to pray, God, I want to know you more. We need to say, God, open the eyes of my heart. God, here I am. Reveal yourself to me. I want to know you more. There is to be a hunger in our lives. 
that we're not satisfied knowing God how little we do. We, we don't just say, well, I've known God for a while and I know him more now than I used to and that's okay. But there's a hunger and a thirst because we've experienced God's power. And as we praise him for his goodness, his power, his might, his righteousness, his grace, and on and on and on, we say, I want that even more. And to be a part of that more, we got to know him more. And, And knowing him more doesn't come from a distance. Knowing him more gets, comes from getting up close and personal and actually paying attention. Because everybody can testify you can be close to someone physically and not close to them relationally. That we need to open ourselves up and pray and say, God, let me know you more. Let me get that hope. Let me grasp it even more. Let me understand even more about that inheritance. Father, let me plug into that power that you have in an even greater way. And we do that, that praise cycle, that upward spiral that Paul talked about. That's what's going to happen in our lives because the more we see God, the more we're going to be amazed. The more we're going to be awed, the more we're going to praise God. And the more God's going to work through us and the more he's going to touch other lives and the more the same thing will happen in their lives as well. So I want to encourage you today to get on the praise cycle by seeking God, by praying, calling, doing everything, reaching out to him and saying, God, I want to know you more. Open me up. Open up my heart so that I can see and take in and receive all that you have for me, so that you may receive, Lord, all the honor and glory that is due to you. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you. And Lord, we are overwhelmed by your goodness. Lord, we... Your word tells us uh, we were by nature objects of wrath. Uh, Lord, we were all sinners. We had all gone astray. Each of us had turned our own way. Lord, all of us deserved punishment, wrath, separation from you. And Father, while your justice and holiness demanded it, Father, your love and your grace also demanded that you would pay that price that we could not. Lord, I pray that if there is one single person anywhere listening to my voice, and they have not come to a relationship with you through your Son, Jesus Christ, that they have not understood that their sins, their wrongdoing was paid for on a cross, by Christ, but Lord, that now that I pray that they would understand that, that they would believe that, and they would choose to follow you by faith in your son, Jesus. Lord, for every single believer who is listening, Father, shake us, wake us up. Father, 
remove any complacency. Father, get rid of all the indecision and the fence sitting in our lives. And help us to understand that you have called us to be passionate about you. That you have called us to be caught up in singing your praises and bringing glory to your name. That you have called us to a life of hope, even in the world that is so often hopeless. That you have given us an inheritance. And Father, you have empowered us with the greatest power ever created. Father, help us now to do business with you. Lord, as our musicians sing, Father, about you and your son Jesus, who is the cornerstone of our faith, may our thoughts be on you and your son Jesus and your spirit. May you draw us closer to Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. May we confess our sins. Father, may we draw near to your throne of grace. God, we pray and we ask all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.